Okay, now if I uh, say to you this morning the word gospel, if I start with that word, the word gospel, where does your mind go and what do you think? If you ponder just for a second or two the word gospel, I'm sure you will see that it is one of those terms that we use in at least a couple of different ways in the life of the church, don't we? This word gospel. On one hand, we often talk about the gospel. What do we mean by that, the gospel? Well, we know, don't we? We know that the gospel is the central message of biblical Christianity. It is the message of a salvation that is freely available in Jesus Christ. Man has been made in perfection and for relationship with God. And though we have rebelled and we have received a fallen nature from our first forefather, listen to this, God has not abandoned us. First, God has promised, and then he has secured a salvation for all who will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Isn't that something? Isn't it something? In Jesus Christ, we have our redemption. So Jesus Christ, he has lived a representative life for us, our representative life. Jesus has died our sin-bearing death for us. He is risen for our justification, ascended to glory. Today, the church is being changed into his likeness before such a time as he returns and we shall see him as he is. What is that? That's good news. That is the gospel. But on the other hand, if we begin to talk about gospels or a gospel, what are we talking about? What do we mean? Well, of course, you know as well as I do that when we start talking about the gospels, most commonly we are referring to the first uh, four books of the New Testament. You hear me talk about the gospels, you know we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't you? The books that provide the historical details of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' uh, life. Well, I I think that uh, in a church like ours, a church like St. Peter's, I think it is a healthy practice for us to quite regularly return to those first four books of the Bible. You you see the idea, I'm sure, in amongst our uh, busy preaching schedule and calendar where we're preaching all over the Bible and different parts and different genre. I think it is a healthy practice in a church like ours to return often uh, to these uh, historical details, the historical basis of our faith. So, guess what? That's what I uh, want us uh, to do just now. So, starting this morning, this Sunday, and for an indeterminate period of time, (laughs) I was reading about somebody who preached for 10 years on Luke's gospel this week, but I, I won't scare you too much. But starting today for an indeterminate period of time, what I want us to do Sunday by Sunday is to begin to look at, unpack this third narrative that we are given here of Jesus' life, a book that sits 
as the first of a two-part set alongside uh, the book of Acts. In short, I want us to begin a sermon series, but I want us to look at Luke, to look at Luke. So that is the plan that begins just now. So what are we going to do today? What are we going to do for our time this morning? Well, I suppose, you know, it's like you and I were in a library. Can you imagine yourself being in a library? Maybe you're down in the vaults of the library. A book catches your eye. You bring it off the shelf and you blow the dust off the cover and you find that it's Luke's gospel. And so the matter this morning is to ask, well, what sort of book is this? That's the thinking today. That's the matter at hand. We have Luke's gospel in our possession today. We blow the dust off the cover. What sort of book is this we're dealing with? Okay, so can I invite you to turn back to the start of Luke's uh, gospel, please? Uh, What sort of book is this? Uh, Let's provide three answers. The first one would be this, that this is an exciting book. Luke's gospel, this is, believe it or not, an exciting book. Okay, right, let's get into this. Now, the intention just now is simply uh, look at or to study the prologue that you've got in front of you in the first four verses. So I, I suppose the first matter that we've got to think about really is the question of authorship. Um, because get this, will you please, contrary to what you might be thinking based on the title that you've got in your Bible in front of you. Do you you know this, that nowhere in these volumes, nowhere in this book does the author give his name. He's never named at all. So you can see just for a second, we've got, well, okay, that's fine. But so who wrote this? It is a, a fairly uncontroversial thing for me to say that this book is, as it says on the tin, it is the author that we're dealing with is this man, Luke. Now, if I take that to you. And if I ask you, well, okay, what's your first thought there? What is it? What do you know about this man, Luke? Because I I find this almost funny (laughs) that for some reason in the contemporary church, what we've done is latch on to one particular detail that we know about Luke. Though why we did that in the book of Colossians, Uh, Chapter 4, Paul mentions that Luke is a physician. (laughs) We love this for some reason. We just grasp onto this. And if I say to you, what do you know about Luke? We all say he's a doctor, right? We know this. This is the information that we have. That's fine, and it's true, and it's great. But can we not flesh it out just a little bit more than that? Uh, So what can we say? Well, we can say that he was a, a Greek. It's important. Very important. And we know this from his name, Lucas. And we also know uh, from Colossians, because in Colossians, Paul distinguishes Luke from the Jews that he was there. So you're actually in your hands got the only part, am I right? I think I'm right. The only part of the New Testament that's written by a Gentile. That will become clear as we go through this. Also, we can add to that picture, not to put too fine a point in it, we can say that Luke was one sharp cookie, right? Luke was one sharp dude. 
Okay, so this book, this volume, is written in an incredibly elevated style of Greek writing. This is classical Greek. This is right up there. Sort of as far from our colloquial languages you're likely to get. So is everybody with me when we're thinking about the authorship? Who is this? It's more than just, he's a doctor. It's more. This is a highly educated Gentile physician that we're dealing with. Luke. Fine, good, okay. I think, what we've just said, I think that it sheds a little bit of light onto the humility of this man. Don't you think so? The fact that he never names himself. That he wants all of the attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that not suggest to us a certain humility from this man? And, and don't you agree that that humility is just further revealed by how the gospel begins. So I want to ask you to look at verse 1, and if we could put verse 1 up. Now, what I want you to see or think about or look at is the fact that he gives credit to other narratives about Jesus that were written. So can you see that with me? Look, what, what does he say? So he begins like this in so much. Look what he talks about. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these events about Jesus. Many, okay, right over to you to, to keep you with me, to keep you awake here. What do you think he's talking about? Other narratives. Like, are we, are we thinking that he is talking about the other gospel accounts, you know, Matthew, Mark, and John, these other narratives? Well, to a degree... Like, so certainly when Luke is sitting down and putting pen to paper, if you'll allow that, certainly at that point, Mark's gospel is in wide circulation, okay? So Mark's gospel, and maybe even Matthew's gospel is as well. But do you notice what he says here? He doesn't say a couple of narratives. What does he say? Many narratives going round about Jesus. So I'm asking you, like, what impression do you have of what the ancient world must have been like at that time? If there's many narratives being circulated about Jesus, can you not sense the excitement people had in the immediate aftermath of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you not see the fervor? The fascination, there's many people writing all of these narratives and details about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And, and can we not, I don't think there's any harm in it, can we not speculate for a moment at St. Peter's what that might have been like at the time? You know, maybe it's, you know, that, that new apostle, if you, if you can permit that, Matthias. You know, maybe he hears of a relative far off who begins to be a little bit interested. What does he do? What does he do? He writes down all that he's seen and he heard and he sends it. What about some of the women? You know, maybe the women at the cross. You know, they begin to jot down some of the details of the things that they have seen for that neighbor down the street. We do not know. God has not preserved some of these things. But what do we know? There was an almost palpable enthusiasm and excitement and all because of Jesus of Nazareth. Let me just pause and speak to you about sweets, chocolates, to be precise. Uh, on holiday, I walked into a shop 
and I was accosted in this shop. It was a chocolate shop, so no prizes for guessing whose idea it was to go into the shop. But I walked through the doors of the shop, and it's that usual thing. It was the, the salesperson behind the counter quickly is no longer behind the counter. It's right in my face with these chocolates, trying to get me to, to have one of the sample chocolates, you know? And I'm looking at them thinking, hey, you know, whatever. Or it's, it's France, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but I look at it, and it doesn't look like anything special at all. But I'm like, okay, I better you know, pacify this, this person. So I take one of the chocolates, have a bite into it, and man alive, it was amazing. Can you tell that I was enthused about this chocolate? So you, you bit into the chocolate. Hidden inside was this layer of creme brulee, right? And then hidden within that, there was this chocolate mousse stuff. It was amazing. Now, listen, it's true, listen. That is what it can be like with biblical language. And you have an example. You have a sweet here. See, think about it. Yes, people were enthused about Jesus to write down a narrative of events. But will you check out what verse 1 says about why they were so excited? What does it say? Look at this. Writing about, now what are the words? Things. What's this next word? Accomplished. Now, that is your chocolate sweet. You have to appreciate, if you bite into that just now, hidden inside that word in the Greek is this. It's the idea. They're enthused because of things being fulfilled. Christian friend, do you understand why there's such enthusiasm at the time about Jesus? It's because people could see in Jesus that God himself had been in action and had been at work. They could see they're excited because they could see, wait a minute, in Jesus, the Old Testament, it's been accomplished, it's been fulfilled. Here in Jesus is the suffering servant. Here in Jesus is that promised seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. Here in Jesus is the real ark of salvation. Here is the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. And they're enthused, so excited. And what about Luke? What about our doctor? As enthused as they are, what this Gentile physician does is he sits down. And he sits down to write his own definitive account. But I want you to understand it's more than that. Luke sits down to write a divinely inspired account of these things. So are you a believer in here? I ask you this, have you lost the spark a little bit? Like if you're hearing about enthusiasm for Jesus, aren't you? Many narratives being written. You're hearing about a real palpable excitement for Jesus. So what's happening this morning is that just illuminating for you the lack of enthusiasm for the Lord there is in your heart and in your life then hear my appeal to you. Be present. Be here. Don't let this sermon series, don't let the book of Luke pass you by. Engage with us. So yes, listen, yes, 
every week what's going to happen is that Sylvie is going to send out the text that we will be looking at on the Sunday. She's going to send that out in advance. So I'm, I'm appealing to you. Yes, you read that. You read over it. You pray over it. You come, engage, ready to go. That's fine. Yep, definitely. And yes, the bookstore will be up and running from next week, I think it is. And yes, you can get supplementary material for the sermon series. That's fine too. But please, bottom line, be present here. Like, don't let other activities and other events hinder your Christian walk and the walk of your family. Be here, number one, prioritize this. Not to tick some legalistic box. Why would you come to worship the living God? And you would come here to learn from Luke about this Jesus of Nazareth for the benefit of your soul. So we see that this is an exciting book, an exciting book. Second thing that I want us to notice from the text is that it's a serious book as well, a serious book. Here, if you're going to allow me to do this, what I want to do is I want to use two very, very brief uh, subheadings. You'll allow me to do this, will you? Two subheadings. Because I want us to recognize this morning that Luke's gospel is serious in terms of its precision and in terms of its presentation. So do you get this structure just now? So there's that second point, but two subheadings. Luke is serious in terms of its precision, and then in terms of its presentation. So what do I mean by that, that this is a book that's serious in terms of its precision? What does that mean? Well, do you like history? Do you like factual books? Would you read that for fun? Um, Even if you don't really like history, I think we all know that there are different types of uh, history books that you get out there in the world. You know, different tones, different levels, aren't there? So it starts right down from, uh, let's say, a children's uh, history book. And that's a sort of lowest common denominator, I don't know, horrible histories or something like that. Uh, And it goes up to maybe a popular level, right? History book, you might read in your time off. And then what's at the top end? The serious history books, you know, like the textbooks that are so heavy, you probably can't carry it. You know, the real in-depth tomes, real history, serious history. Well, what I want you to recognize is that Luke's gospel really does sit towards the top end of the scale here. Like I've mentioned already that Luke writes in this elaborate, elevated style of Greek. Do you know what we've got to do? We've got to add to that that this is a serious work of historical research. This is a very, very detailed book, one where the author demonstrates, honestly, it's like an insatiable appetite for historical exactness, you know, an appetite for historical precision. Indeed, if you would, look at verse 3, and we can maybe put it up on the screen. I wonder what you think of the phrase. You maybe think it's a throwaway phrase, but have a look at verse 3 with me. So Luke's writing it, and he says this, you know, it seemed good to me also. Have a look at the next bit. It seems good to me also, having followed uh, all things closely for some time past. What do you think? Is that a throwaway phrase? Can Can you just break it up with me? 
What has he followed? What does he say he's followed? All things. Think about what that means. So in preparation to write this gospel, Luke has got to work. And he has explored all things, all of the events surrounding Jesus. Think about that. Like all of the events surrounding his birth and his infancy and then his ministry and his life and his death and his resurrection. Keep going. Remember, Luke acts. He's investigated all of the events surrounding all Paul's missionary journeys. He was even there for some of them. And then Luke, keep going. What does he say about how he has followed all of these things? What's the word? Depends on your translation. Some of you have got, he's followed it carefully. What does it say here? Closely. Uh, somebody else says this. I'll read it to you. That in preparing to write this book, Luke has acted as an investigative journalist. Do you like that sort of idea? So Luke has been, you know, scrubbing away at this stuff and he has been carefully, painstakingly trying desperately to get to the facts about Jesus. And then the last thing, for how long has Luke been doing this? Do you see what he says? I love it. He says he's been doing this for some time. <laughs> Do you see what that means? This is not a sort of hurriedly prepared work of historical research for years he's been working on this like years and years and years trying to get to the facts about jesus years and years interviewing all of these people interviewing the eyewitnesses that he talks about the ministers that he talks about and other people trying to get right by there to the, the primary sources do you see the idea this is significant a research work luke has no time for guff or fluff or, or, or any nonsense whatsoever. No, no time for exaggeration. He wants the facts about our Lord. And I think, honestly, it's summed up best by someone who I think I'm right in saying is not a Christian. Now, listen to what this unbelieving person, a scholar, says about what, what we're going to be looking at. He says this, whenever modern scholarship has been able to check up on the accuracy of Luke's work, the judgment has been unanimous. Luke is one of the finest and ablest historians in all of the ancient world. What is this book? It is a precise book, precision, that if you remember, I said, two subheadings. The second was that this is serious in terms of its presentation, because we have students at St. Peter's, don't we? School pupils and students. And what the students would all back me up on, I hope, is that it's not, it's simply not enough to have, if you're preparing a written piece of work, it's not enough just to have the facts, isn't it? We can think back to our schooling and our student days, some of us. It would make for a pretty awful, chaotic essay if we just took every fact that we knew about a subject and just dumped it onto that page, right? Do you see the idea that thought has to be given to presentation and arrangement and readability? So I'll ask you to look again at verse 3. Let's keep at it. Look what he says. He says, it seemed good to me also, then our face, having followed all things closely for some time. What does he say next? To write what sort of account? It seemed good to me to write an orderly account. 
orderly. Now, I think everyone in here, we all know what he's getting at. He's saying, on top of this historical detail, Luke has given thought to readability and attractiveness. And but what did that look like? But do you know what we're going to see over the next number of weeks, months, dare I say years? I don't know. But what we're going to see is, in the main, largely, the material here is arranged chronologically. So you know that if you know this book. Luke starts at the birth and moves forward through Jesus' life and then through, through and that's fine and that's good. And that's what you would expect, isn't it? need you to appreciate that there's more to it than that. Now, please listen. This is a book that is also arranged geographically, right through, right through Luke Acts. There is this movement where things are grouped geographically. So, we're in Galilee to start with, and then there is this movement towards Jerusalem, uh, then like towards Jerusalem. But then what happens if you get to the book of Acts? What happens? There's this movement away from Jerusalem then, isn't there? To all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the, the earth and to, to Rome, you see? But then most important of all, and please get it, most important is the organizational concern of salvation. See, you, you, know, you know this as well as I do. There were so many things happening, weren't there? Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, so many things. And there's no way on this earth that Luke could record them all. So what does this author do? He focuses in on the key events of Jesus' life, doesn't he? He focuses on the, the events that will shed light on who Jesus is as the Son of God, the Christ of God, and the events that shed light on what Jesus of Nazareth has secured. And what is that? He has secured a full and complete salvation for all who will turn to him in repentance and faith. So I am going to add to what I said a minute ago. Do you remember the appeal from the first point? There was just two words. My appeal was be here for the sermon series. I want to add to that, augment it, because really, heartfully, truthfully, my appeal would be, be here and consider bringing somebody with you. I mean, can you just take a step back? Our time on this earth is so short, right? And what are we going to be doing for the next number of Sundays? In this place, in this room, 11 o'clock, Sunday morning, what are we going to be doing? We are going to be exploring together an in-depth, <laughs> divinely inspired, beautifully presented historical record of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Dundee needs? Isn't that what we need to at least consider inviting our unbelieving friends to hear? And then the last thing, and most briefly of all, we've seen that it's an exciting book, and, and it really is. And it's also a serious book. But thirdly, it is a pastoral book. Pastoral book. Uh, this morning, if, if you come to Luke's gospel with even a sort of uh, basic uh, working knowledge of the other gospel accounts, something will have jumped out of you from the page, I think. So if you come to Luke's gospel with a working level knowledge of Mark, Matthew, John, 
you may have noticed the unique inclusion here of a recipient. Did we all get that? It's a Corkin name, isn't it? If, uh, got it in verse 3, the last word there. There's mention of this chap. What is he? Theophilus. Um, uh, believe it or not, some people uh, do not actually think that there was ever a, a historical man, a real figure called Theophilus. Some people think it's made up because the name Theophilus means beloved of God. Beloved of God. They think this is just a device that Luke is using to speak generally to, to a group of people, the beloved of God. I'm not buying that, really. I'm, I'm not buying it. Probably a couple of reasons. First of all, this was a common name at the time. And the second thing is, we've just said that Luke is an incredibly detailed historian, and he's presenting this person to you as a factual and real person. So he's real. <laughs> I'm saying he exists. And we can add to that, can't we? Because again, we can say that this man was likely a Gentile. Theophilus, beloved of God, was of course a Greek name. And then I'm going to ask you to think about the book of Acts for a moment. Are there not any bells ringing here? What does, how is he described? What does Luke say? Most excellent Theophilus. That rings bells, doesn't it? That's a phrase that Luke uses elsewhere when he's speaking about high-profile Romans. Isn't it? Think about the book of Acts. Most excellent Felix. Most excellent Festus. Do you see, perhaps what we're dealing with here is a high-profile Roman, but really all of this brings me, us, to the most crucial question of all. Why is he written to Theophilus? <laughs> what is the purpose of the book of Luke. And I, and I need you here. Now, please, I need you to remember what we're going to look at just now. And I need you to remember it, not just for today's purposes. I need you to remember what we're about to say for every single subsequent sermon in this series. In fact, for the rest of your life, for the rest of your time on this earth, I need you to remember what I'm about to say every time you come to the book of Luke. So what's the purpose of Luke? Why does he write to Theophilus? Can we look at verse 4? What does he say? I write to you, most excellent Theophilus, and then read it. What's the purpose of the whole thing? That you may have certainty. Keep going. You might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Isn't that amazing? Like whether Theophilus is a Christian or not, and I don't think we can answer that properly, whether he's, been a, he's a Christian or not, what's evidently true is he's had some instruction in the Christian faith. Okay, he's been taught some stuff. But why does Luke write to him? I mean, think about it. Why does he put all of this time, man, years, all this energy, all of this effort for one reason that Theophilus might have greater conviction about Jesus Christ. Isn't that caring? Isn't that loving? Luke writes to him to furnish Theophilus with greater evidence about Jesus. 
to confront Theophilus with further truth about Jesus, he writes to assuage Theophilus of any of the doubts he might have that Jesus Christ really is the Christ of God. What a beautiful thing to do. We end the tiniest little detail, but I think it's wonderful because let's be honest, you and I, if you're a Christian in here, sometimes truth is the Christian life is bumpy. That road is bumpy. It is hard. And sometimes as much as you and I do not like to admit it, we doubt. Sometimes you and I lack the certainty that Luke speaks of here. So you ready for the little detail that I love so much? Listen to it. In the ancient world, dedications like the one we have here, in works of high classical Greek, they only appeared in books expected to receive a wide audience. Do you see what that means? This wasn't just for Theophilus. This is a book for you. Think of it. God loves you so much. He cares for you so much that he has inspired a book to be written with the express purpose of assuaging any doubt that you might have about Jesus. God loves you so much. He gives you this book, the express purpose purpose of confronting you with more and more of Jesus Christ, a book that exists to give you certainty, certainty about the identification of Jesus, who he is, certainty about the accomplishments and the salvation of Jesus. When you see that, don't we thank God as a church? Don't we praise him for the book of Luke, don't we? More than that, do we not this morning Praise God for who Luke insisted was center stage. And who's that? That's right. We praise God for the one who is 